We're continuing with this first chapter, Hearing Dharma. All dharmas arise from causes and conditions. When the causes and conditions exist, the result occurs accordingly. Who has created this? It's just the law of nature. When it breaks up, that's also nature. This law is called dharma. Formal teaching to explain this is simply a matter of skillful language and speech. It's not genuine dharma itself, but only the path to train people and point out the way to understand truth. Still, we think we have dharma, we understand dharma, we are dharma. Well, if this were really the case, we would not have craving, anger or delusion. If we did know, see and embody dharma, we wouldn't have these things. So we're the slaves of the afflictions without any surcease, without any uh, uh, anything beyond that. If we really see, these things just evaporate from us. The profound dharma is like this. That is one matter. So again, uh, he's emphasizing the difference between having a uh, conceptual understanding or knowing the words of the Dhamma teaching and uh, the kind of explana explanations and ideas. That's one thing, but uh, that's not the same as uh, genuinely embodying that uh, reality. As he says, if there really was that quality of understanding and being Dharma, etc., uh, then we wouldn't have those things of uh, craving, anger, or delusion. Then there is the Dharma of practicing a code of conduct, people living together with restraint and consideration. This too is Dharma, living together without quarrel or strife. It's called Sila Dharma, or the way of virtuous behavior. It is the dharma that the populace at large needs to practice for happiness. But this happiness is just attained as the beginning of suffering. It's a little better than people who have no knowledge or morality, but still, we make this happiness and keeping it leads to suffering. This alone does not get us beyond, but it's still better than not having it. Making the causes and conditions for going beyond is another matter. So again, this is a very frequent uh, point in, in Lumpur Cha's teachings about um, uh, the uh, aspect of doing good, keeping the precepts and uh, practicing generosity and so forth, that uh, he would often say, yes, this is, this is beneficial, this is something that is skillful and wholesome, but you know, don't let it stop there. This is still uh, a world, worldly activity and it can't possibly bring about the ending of dukkha in and of itself. Um, and he says, but this happiness is just attained as the beginning of suffering. So the happiness that comes from keeping the precepts or practicing generosity, if the mind relates to that in an unskillful way, uh, then that happiness or that the kind of blessings that come from that can still cause more suffering. So uh, a frequent image, and I think I quoted it a few days ago, is he that um, he would often use would be the way you catch a snake if you take hold of the uh, the head of a snake, if you, uh, the head being the dukkha, uh, the immediate sort of dukkha is felt. If, if you take hold of suffering and identify with suffering, it's painful immediately. If you take hold of the tail, it's like taking hold of happiness. 
and grasping happiness, at first taking hold of the tail of the snake, there's no nothing painful or, or problematic, but very quickly the snake whips around and and uh, and, and bites you. And so that uh, uh, that was a, um, a frequent theme is to say, you know, not to be grasping happiness or looking to just have worldly happiness on its own or just uh, the um, the sense of identification. I'm a good person. I keep the precepts. I'm a Buddhist. I, I meditate. I uh, all they the those skillful qualities, but if they're grasped in a wrong way and made into a, a person or a made made into kind of personal activities or personal achievements, or then it it swings around and and bites, and uh, dukkha follows um, quickly afterwards. So that that um, there's a, a one of the teachings that is very helpful with respect to. How you know, practicing with uh, with respect to generosity and virtue and the and so forth um, in a worldly way and it also then in a a, a supra mundane way it's called a, a sutta called the Great Forty the Ma Maha Chaturisaka Sutta the Great Forty is Sutta number 117 in the Majjhima Nikaya and it spells out how the Eightfold Path can be practiced. With uh, with a worldly attitude, like you know, I am practicing um, right view. I am practicing uh, you know, right uh, uh, right resolution, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. So there's still skillful qualities are being cultivated, but there's very uh, there's still a worldly attitude. There's still a sense of identification and owning and claiming. And then he said, and then there's the eightfold path, which is developed, um, the supramundane eightfold path. So then that's the Eightfold Path being developed, but without the sense of self, without the, those qualities of, of delusion or, or self-creation involved. So that uh, is one of the clearest ways of um, uh, uh, explaining that, that we can be practicing the Eightfold Path, but in a, in a mundane or worldly way. And if that's the case, then there's always going to be some uh, some dukkha involved with it. As he says... Um, it's it's much better than not having it. It's much better than not practicing generosity and virtue and, and so on. But um, that in and of itself is not something that that can and will liberate. There needs to be that um, that say that transcendent element needs to be in the picture. There needs to be that the effort made to let go of all kind of self view and conceit involved with the with the practice. Making the causes and conditions for going beyond is another matter. So any questions, thoughts? Yes. The last bit you just read of, I was really pleased about that because um, one of the reflections I constantly come across is if thought, form, feeling, perception and sensual consciousness can be observed, uh, there's a consciousness of it, not by an observer, but a conscious awareness mm -hmm. That cannot be classed as self because it's observed. But that which knows it cannot be observed. But and the advisors would say, then I'm uh, a witness consciousness. But I read an article where the Buddha said to Sati, he was going to say, I am a witness consciousness. And they go, don't say that, you know. <laughs> and, and then he got called to the chief and he said, I didn't say that. That's I didn't. And then if you look at that, it's because that would make. Um, the witness consciousness, an object, a thing. Mm -hmm. 
So whatever could it observe that? It couldn't be that, could it? So QED. It's not saying that you're not there. And then I was reflecting today on it, and as I was coming up the the drive, how would you know that you weren't deluded? How would you know? Because um, when you say that things are not self, that's very easy on a conceptual level, you know, as a a reading, okay? And then if I say, okay, I'm not going to be self, I'm still being self, I'm still... (laughs) I am not going to be... I am, yeah. So (laughs) the only thing I could, um, the only thing, yeah, it wasn't a, a... so what is the only thing that we could test? And it would be that there's Dharma, it's the truth, reality. Without my perception thrown on it, that's the only way you would know that you knew it. Because anything you try to make it would be a concept, wouldn't it? Be something that you put onto it. Mm-hmm. So reality, Dharma as reality, is your test. As also, uh, when people ask this question, they say, in terms of greed, hatred, and delusion, that uh, greed and hatred are quite easy to see. They're sort of highlighted, they're kind of vib- you know, vibrant and sort of clear demarcations if you're, if you're angry or upset or you're, you're wanting something, there's a, a clear sense of, of the mind chasing those, those, those objects or having those reactions. But delusion is intrinsically hard to see because the mind is deluded. So... Um, uh, the, one of the other aspects of that is this is where spiritual friendship comes in because if the mind is deluded and it's not getting a, a clear picture and it, it it's often the input of, of like-minded and helpful friends that say you know do you really believe that or you know what, why why are you uh, why are you talking that way or that uh, what's what's going on there so that the input from our spiritual friends can often help to give a perspective on mind states and attitudes that are not that visible from from the from the subjective side, and so that that it's not the only way that delusion is um, dissolved, but it's a it's an extremely helpful element. It's one of the reasons why I would say why sangha uh, spiritual community is so important because it's exactly those errors blind spots where the mind is caught up and attached and opinionated or fearful or or uh, identified and it hasn't got a clue that there's that identification or that that attachment going on and it's just uh, uh, you know, the people who are close to you who know you well or care about you that say you know well you, you really get upset about that or like that really seems to be something important to you and you go oh, what huh and you don't even know that there's a thing there because it's so it's so familiar so uh, that I feel is one of the most important areas of of the of living in community and having spiritual friends is that helping to illuminate the the moha the the delusion factor and clarify where those uh, say unconscious fears and ident- and attachments and and opinions are located because the very means whereby they would be known and seen and recognized. Are, are blurry or obscured or are kind of obstructed so to continue so when you listen to the Dharma don't think that that's all there is to do take it to heart and practice make it the cause and condition for the attainment of nirvana the deathless the cessation of suffering and true peace 
So that uh, make it the cause and condition for the attainment of nirvana. Uh, that's also a very regular theme of Lumpur's nibbana pacheyo hotu, make it a cause for um, for realizing nibbana. And so that was uh, a frequently used Pali phrase that uh, that Lumpur Shah would use. And I think also uh, within the teachings of uh, uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa as well, he would make a lot of that that you know, consciously making your the, the the practice and the, your perspective and your, your attitudes make it a cause for the realization of nibbana nibbana pacheyo hotu we who are buddhists need to study this learn it little by little and put it into practice through meditation even if desire negativity and foolishness are in our hearts let us know them when they arise we know them and we know dharma Know that they are our enemies. Oh, when will they be removed? Remove them, step by step, through consistent practice, not through consistent sleep. Practice sila and dharma. There will be some grasping and attachment remaining, but you will know that you have it. Even if you're suffering, don't let it get too great, but have a boundary and be aware of it. When you're tending cows and buffaloes, they may get into the field, so you have to control them. They may eat some of the grain, but don't let them eat a lot. They'll only eat a little because you're on the job. If you sleep through the day, they'll probably polish off your crop, so you can't be heedless. So um, why Lumpur suddenly starts talking about not through consistent sleep, he might. my suspicion is he maybe saw some of the people in the group nodding off as he was speaking. You know, there's a few drifting there. So. <laughs> and that... Nothing uh, gets your attention like being uh, the subject of sleepiness being talked about. If you're, if you're, if you're drifting off, Ooh! you know that uh, it's, it's, there's a, a teaching that's got your name on it, and so. Uh, but it is very easy to sleep our way through um, uh, through our life. That particularly in a monastery, uh, living in a, a situation where it's a very repetitive, deliberately repetitive lifestyle, and uh, the. Um, the mind can incline towards just wanting to quote unquote not bother or don't want to, to uh, practice is getting getting boring or, or the things are not very interesting or inspiring or uh, uh, in, in encouraging. So that pillow can look really really attractive and sense. Oh, I just take a nap and and then the nap time gets longer and longer and longer. <laughs> so. so uh, the, you, you cannot sleep your way to Nibbana uh, with, uh, as a, as a uh, spiritual method, but rather you recognize that, that wish to, uh, to not deal with things, just to switch off, to not feel. Those are all aspects of Vibhava Tanha, that the um, desire for, for non-being, for annihilation, for just zoning out. Oh, I don't want to bother. Just, just check out. And it, it can feel quite comfortable but it's a it's a um it's a numbness rather than a, a transcendence so that uh, it's not a a um a peacefulness it's, it's quiet it's going it can be quite peaceful but it's not a peace that, that liberates also i think it's, it's very significant here when he says when he says even if desire negativity and foolishness are in our hearts let us know them when they arise we know them and then that's knowing dharma so that uh, and this in itself is a very important principle that if there, there's uh, already been a cause 
for desire or negativity uh, and uh, and these kind of unskillful states, if they've already been caused from some particular action or attitude, then they're going to arise. But the very fact of knowing, oh, this is a a restless impulse, or this is a a greedy impulse, or this is a, an aggressive impulse, knowing that and being aware of it, right there is is the the practice of dhamma. Like the the, the mind is knowing, it's knowing an unskillful object, but. Uh, but that's not a, 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 anything problematic or obstructive in and of itself. And so that um, uh, <clears throat> is also very, something that's very clearly spelled out if you're familiar with the, um, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the, the Satipatthana Sutta. In the third of the, um, the four Satipatthanas, the mindfulness of, of mind states, Chitanupasana, then it's very significant that it, it has this pair, this list of pairs, uh, knowing the agitated mind is agitated, knowing the mind free of agitation is free of agitation, knowing the angry mind is angry, and the mind free of anger is free of anger, knowing the lustful mind is lustful, knowing the mind free of lust is free of lust, knowing the contracted mind is contracted, the expanded mind is expanded. And so in that, in that teaching, there's no va- value judgment mentioned at all. It's never... There's no reference to the expanded mind is better or more skillful than the contracted mind, or the or the agitated mind is 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 unskillful and the unagitated mind is skillful. There's no comment in that particular uh, framework. It's just here is agitation, here's freedom from agitation, here's anger, here's a freedom from anger. So, and then in that it says establishing mindfulness simply to the extent of knowing there is this. That's the the, the the full and, and proper establishment of of mindfulness. So that it's not it's not as though that in in the practice of dhamma that there's never going to be negativity. You know, if, you, if you're practicing well, you might think, well, why do I feel so much lust and so much restlessness and greed and negativity and judgmentalism? You know, if I was practicing properly, then I wouldn't have all these the these kind of nasty feelings and all these kind of unskillful states. But uh, uh, this is a you know, very much a, a theme of uh, the teaching and very clearly spelled out by you know, Lumpur Cha and, and the other forest Ajans. It's not a sign that you're getting it wrong, and it's a sign that, you're, that there, the, there's a body and a mind, that we've been born and that these things have already been caused. But what we can do is we can know, oh, this is an unwholesome state. Uh, it, if it's followed, then it's going to be painful for, for ourselves and others. But here it is. It's just an angry an angry state of mind. That's all. No need to add anything onto it. No need to feed it or suppress it or identify with it, but just knowing the angry mind is angry, knowing the mind free of anger is free of anger. And so then, with that quality of mindfulness established, then the... Um, that whatever is wholesome and, uh, and uh, noble, then that the then the quality of samar sankapa, right resolution, right intention, is let this be acted upon, let this be strengthened and supported. Uh, if it's something that's unwholesome or obstructive and and uh, pain uh, painful, then the 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 intention, the resolution is let this be uh, abandoned, let this be relinquished and, and let go of, so that. Uh, uh, just knowing the states in themselves, you know, that there's, that I would say, there's nothing intrinsically harmful or obstructive about that. But it's when the mind takes hold of them, or suppresses them, or or believes in them, that's where that's where the trouble begins.
And as then again, Lumpur is using his sort of local farming uh, analogies, looking after water buffaloes. Probably none of us here have done much buffalo tending in our lives, <laughs> at least not uh, water buffaloes. Uh, but the um, uh, the I think the image comes across as well. You know, if you if you're tending cows and buffaloes, they may get into the field, so you have to control them, so that if your mind does follow particular states that are unwholesome and and does get lost in those fields uh, of uh, following desire or uh, complaining and opinionating, criticizing, uh, worrying and uh, and fearing that um, yeah that uh, okay those those impulses have been followed, but you can still work to get the buffaloes out of the field and to to stop them causing too much damage. You see, you can. Uh, recognize all oh, um, this is greedy impulses being followed this is going to be painful and difficult okay you know better back off and leave things alone here or or that yeah i'm getting really upset i've been sitting here churning over what somebody said to me this morning uh, is this really going to be helpful to me for me to just keep ruminating and and developing this aversive mind state you know let it go let, let the mind incline towards forgiveness and, and relinquishment Our aim in coming to study and practice is for our minds to see dharma. When our minds see dharma, we will end suffering. We don't need to wonder what we're practicing for. We have eyes and ears, legs that are not broken. If we've opened our eyes, we will do what needs to be done, without waiting for or depending on the blind ones. We're able to speak. We're not mute. When we see, we can speak before them. We wake up first and we get going early in the morning, not waiting for the ones who still sleep. Why? Because this is a place of danger. It's a place of turmoil and confusion, an imperfect realm full of faults. The Buddha taught that, if you know, you should just go and not wait for the benighted. If your legs can carry you, don't wait for the ones with broken legs. Why? Escape from the enemy little by little until you are free and clear. It means developing virtue and knowledge until the day you get free of evil make the causes of goodness little by little and this becomes the cause that is dedicated to the aim of everyone getting free awaken yourself lotuses in the same pond don't grow at the same pace while some are blooming some are still in the water and others are at the level of the water you should do what you can according to your abilities if you wait for the others you might be eaten by fish and turtles so um this is a, a rousing encouragement to, um, it might seem a little bit un, you know, uncompassionate, <laughs> but uh, it's also um, the, uh, trying to rouse that sense of uh, don't delay, you know, take, uh, take advantage of the possibilities that are present and don't, don't wait for others, but uh, recognize what's, what's possible, what's potential here and now and take advantage of it, make, make hay while the sun shines. Uh, the image of the lotuses uh, in, in uh, one of the various descriptions of different uh, different human types, uh, the the Buddha said that there are that people um, the types of different uh, different people can be compared to lotuses, and the spiritual potential uh, of people can be compared to lotuses. Because some lotuses are born and they rise up and they blossom. The flower stands clear of the surface of the water and the, the flower blooms uh, high up in the air some lotuses they they are uh, they, they bloom with the flower 
on the surface of the water. Some of them, they, uh, they, the flowers open under the surface of the water, in the water itself, and others, uh, they remain as buds and they end up as turtle food. It's the, uh, there's the different kinds of, uh, of, um, of uh, spiritual potentials that we have. and uh, that's, So that's quite a, a common expression here, don't, don't end up as turtle food. Again, not many of us grew up with turtles around, you know. So what's the third option? Hmm? One ends as a turtle. So what is it? Is it? Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, t- uh, being turtle food is where you are um, not inclined towards awakening at all. You think, I- I'm fine as a person. I just do do what I like. And uh, you uh, say not cultivating a quality of mindfulness or reflectiveness, just you know, going through life in a very materialistic uh, way, That with the attitude, I'm the body, I'm the personality, this is who and what I am. And so that um, uh, if the mind doesn't cultivate any kind of perspective that goes against worldly habits, then that's embodying turtle food. <laughs> so that uh, the... Um, uh, and then the 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 different levels uh, are that uh, relating to how um, uh, in a way how sensitive the mind is to uh, to dhamma teachings or to you know, principles of reality and ready to act upon those, and so the the um, uh, the, uh, the the ones that are turtle food, you know, no matter. How much spiritual teachings and and noble people there are around you sort of determined to believe in your own opinions and follow your own habits and looking for happiness in things that you own things that you you see and smell and touch, taste and touch and uh, and possess and then um, there's no perspective beyond the worldly attitudes the uh, the lotuses that bloom below the surface of the water is a recognition that, uh, yes, we, we can live skillfully or we can practice generosity. It does make a bit of a uh, an effect, but you're still somewhat dominated by the, the habits of, of, um, of greed, hatred and delusion, you know, desire and uh, aversion and so forth. The lotus is that, that bloom on the surface of the water is that you're, you're working... Um, actively to cultivate virtue and concentration and wisdom, um, the uh, the hindrances and the, the defilements are still are still around, but you are able to experience directly the the um, the benefits of living skillfully, and that uh, and you're feeling the uh, some of the the results of that, but mixed with the results of the negative habits that are still being acted upon. And the lotus that stands up and is, is sort of clear of the surface and is blossoming out in the open air is uh, the representing the, the mind having given up acting on greed, hatred and delusion and is um, given to just cultivating what is wholesome, beneficial and is, uh, say, free of the habits of following worldly impulses and such like. Another set of four... Uh, the, uh, the the Buddha used in talking to a horse trainer. Um, so the the four kinds of horses, uh, and um, 
it's called Kate. It's called the Casey Sutta. K E S I. Casey was the name of the horse trainer, and um, the Buddha says, "Well, you, how do you uh, how do you train the horses that come under your your influence or that you are you're taking responsibility for?" And then Casey says, "Well, there's there's uh, four kinds of horses. There's the the best kind, which is the one that that moves at the shadow of the whip. You just the, the rider just lifts the whip up and and the the, that horse immediately you know, goes uh, at uh, full speed, and then the second kind of horse, you you you, you hit them with a the whip once, and, and then they'll go. The third kind of horse, um, then you, you have to you have to hit them many times, and then they'll start to go. And the fourth type, the fourth type, no matter how much you hit them, they're not going to do anything. They they're not going to respond, and they uh, they um, they are uh, I say kind of un- untrainable. And so then uh, the Buddha says, yeah, well, actually, my disciples are identical. <laughs> there are some disciples who move at the shadow of the whip. As soon as they hear the, the Dhamma, then they immediately they understand it and they're ready to act upon it. Um, the second kind, if I remember, I'm, if I'm remembering these correctly, the second kind, um, you, you hit them once. It's like they, they hear the Dhamma, but they don't immediately understand it and then don't immediately act upon it. But after a short period of time, then they... They see the benefit of it and they're ready to act on it. The third type is that uh, you have to t- explain things over and over and over again. Finally, they get it after repeated um, encouragement and using many and various different skillful means to get people to understand. And the fourth type, no matter how much you say or how much encouragement, they never get it. And so then uh, the Buddha says, so when the, with respect to, to um, the horses that you, uh, the fourth type of horses, um, that are untrainable. Yeah, what what do you do with those? And he says, "Well, I kill them. You know, and then they turn them into dog food." And then they say, "What do, what do you do with your um, your your fourth type of disciples?" And the Buddha says, "I kill them." <laughs> and then the, the the horse trainer says, "This is all in the Casey Sutta." He says, "But venerable sir, surely you know you are a summoner. You're a, you're a monk. You know you can't kill your disciples." And he said, "Well, I I kill them in the training." Well, how do you do that? He said, I don't offer them any admonishment. I, I sort of give up. I give up trying to give them instruction. So that that is um, killing them in the in the training. It's like, okay, you know, you're on your own, mate. It's like, you're, no matter how much effort has been put in, you're not responding. So I'm just going to stop giving you any kind of uh, any attention. So again, it's kind of a, a blunt uh, teaching, but it also it uh, it's. It reveals uh, the extent to which the Buddha was very, very familiar with human nature, and also the process of teaching and training, and and also that, yeah, it's, um, that some uh, some people are just determined to be, <laughs> uh, sort of filled with their own their own rightness, their own habits, and just uh, okay, well, you're not listening to anything anything that's being said. You're you're you're, you're you're making the pretense of being a student or wanting to learn, but actually, there's, there's, you're not uh, making any room for any kind of learning or change. So, okay, you know, have a good life. You know, you're on your own. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not going to put any more effort into this. When fire is flaring up and threatening to burn down your house. You can't ignore it and take a rest. You have possessions, and you have to grab them and get out. Desire, anger, and delusion scorch us just like that. 
Death follows us always, every day, without cease. At the very least, we should reduce unbecoming and birth in the round of existence. In all our merit-making and other spiritual activities, we recite, May it be a cause for realizing Nibbāna, Nibbāna Pacheyohotu. What should we do to make the causes for Nirvāna? Meditation is essential. You don't merely sit here and listen to the words. That doesn't become a cause. First you listen, then you have to contemplate the meaning. The things you're supposed to give up, give them up. This guy hasn't got it yet. That one, I'm not sure about the way she practices. Don't entertain such thoughts. Sort of thinking about others and opinionating about where other people are at. Don't push it off on someone else. If a tiger is chasing you, you don't wait for the other person to run. How will you escape the tiger like this? The danger is to you. Nirvana is not a place to stay or go to. Or put another way, it is not going and not stopping. It doesn't have advancing, retreating or stopping. Understand that. When you enter and see, the fruit will come on its own. See the Dharma. Earn your profit. And then, even if you haven't gotten to the end of the path, there will be no more doubting. So again, he's uh, uh, making efforts to rouse the quality of, of urgency and um, the uh, the kind of uh, tendency of the mind to to uh, ignore and take a rest. Maybe there was still some nodding going on in the group. <laughs> again, I'm imagining, but uh, say, oh, even though I'm, even though I'm giving this rousing dhamma talk and talking about not going to sleep, there's still. <laughs> Still a few people zoning out there. So uh, anyway, uh, when the fire is flaring up and threatening to burn down your house, you can't ignore it and take a rest. So that um, in all our merit-making and spiritual activities, we recite, uh, may it be a cause for realizing nirvana, nibbana pacheyohotu. So that's uh, like a, a, a phrase to, to, uh, that is recollected and brought to mind. But to, uh, to make that real, just you, you say the words, you, uh, you hear the words, you say the words, but then it, it, it's up to us to uh, genuinely act upon them. As he said, uh, if the tiger is chasing you, you don't wait for the other person to run. How will you escape the tiger like this? The danger is to you. So it's up to each one of us to, to act upon the, uh, the encouragement. Then this last part that, uh, that I read, uh, nirvana is not a place to stay or to go to. Uh, then, as Lumpur has been talking about nibbana, nibbana pacheo hotu may something be a cause for the realizing of nirvana. Then this, uh, again, was a, a frequent theme that he talked about in the, uh, the latter part of his teaching uh, career. And uh, as he, he puts it here, uh, nibbana is not a place... Uh, is not going and not stopping doesn't have advancing retreating or stopping and so that's a, a, a bit of a paraphrase of a, a passage in the Udana uh, chapter 8 of the Udana um, you know, in the, the chanting we um, we have the the the, the verse atibikwe ajatang abutang akatang asankatang the uh, there is the unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed. If there was not the unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed, then escape from the born, the originated, the created, the formed would not be possible. So that's chapter eight, Udana chapter eight, Sutta number three. Sutta number one 
in that uh, that same section is um, uh, the where the, the Buddha says there is that ayatana that sphere of being or that that, that um, zone of of being where there is no earth no water no fire no wind no coming no going no standing still no dying no reappearance um, and uh, th- uh, and then also saying you know, this just this is the end of suffering and so Lumpur Cha uh, would uh, refer to that quite frequently as, as he's as he is here it doesn't have advancing retreating or stopping and often he would ask the question when people came to visit if you can't go forward and you can't go back and you can't stand still where do you go and it's again referring to this same teaching from the from the udana and that that um when the mind conceives uh, i am a person i exist in this place and i'm i uh and then i'm i'm here you're over there and uh, time is passing as long as the mind believes and buys into uh, identity and time and location then there there isn't really any solution to that how can you know if you can't go forward you can't go back you can't stand still there's 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 no resolution no solution to that that conundrum that puzzle but what is uh, what it's pointing to is nibbana or that place of non-abiding that place of uh, peacefulness which is not really a place <laughs> the place which is no place is uh, uh, that is only when the mind lets go of identity of time of location then that quality of nibbana is is realized so it's awakening uh, to that dimension of being which is outside of time outside of location and outside of identity and outside of cause and effect and that was another phrase that he would lumpachar would frequently use knock hate no upon outside of cause and above effect as a way of describing that the quality of of non-abiding so any questions thoughts this is pithy pithy material but uh, any thoughts questions before carrying on yes um, how is unborn unoriginated and unconnected with dhamma well that's the 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 nature of of dhamma itself and it's uh, fundamentally is unborn unoriginated uncreated unformed so it's like the the fun, the, the the fundamental nature of dhamma so in the chanting we we repeat those words uh uh akaliko dhamma is timeless sanditiko apparent here and now and uh, so that it's talking about the fundamental nature of reality and uh, that uh there's characteristics of unborn unoriginated uncreated unformed also deathless uh, uh, Amaravati means the deathless realm Mara is death Amara is deathless so that it's uh, in, it, in its essence the Dhamma is unborn, unoriginated undying time doesn't apply also location doesn't apply uh, it's not anywhere uh, awareness doesn't really apply so it's it's kind of um anything any words that we use to describe dhamma are always going to be 
uh, a bit vague because our words are related to the sensory experience of time and and space and individuality so that um, the uh, the the Dhamma in its in its uh, true nature it's and not something that the imagining mind can create a picture of uh, but uh, it's these kind of terms like unborn, unoriginated or deathless uh, unconditioned they are pointing to that or they're talking about that uh, that quality in the as a kind of the best approximation that, that can be made in terms of language so it's it's naturally unimaginable. You can't create an image, um, and even an image like space, <laughs> or uh, is uh, is uh, is only kind of partially uh, correct, or partially accurate. That makes sense. So that it's uh, the. The, the task of, of, of practicing Dhamma and realizing Dhamma, being Dhamma, is, uh, in a sense, helping the mind to awaken to that already existent dimension of its own being, uh, its own nature, that is invisible. It's, a, it's, not, uh, it's not obvious as uh, things that we see or hear or smell or taste or touch. It's like a, an unobvious presence. That uh, is so sort of underlying all all, uh, all experience, all, all experiencing, but it's not tangible. It's not describable in uh, in ordinary terms. So the 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 Buddha used words like uh, apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation. So that the uh, in a sense referring to those qualities of that. That transcendent reality, uh, but recognizing that you can't really, you can't create a picture of it or, or a, 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 an accurate idea, but you can most effectively talk about the way that can be realized and known and embodied. And yeah, to to experience it and to to embody that. I like be the, the the name of the book is Being Dharma. And so this recognizing that that's the fundamental nature of mind already is Dharma. That's the that's what every aspect of this body, this mind and, and the natural order is already. That's its nature. And so it's it kind of waking up to that uh, that reality that has always been the case, but that has not been noticed because of being distracted by seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking and all the ups and downs of being born in the human realm. So I hope that clarifies things. So to continue. This is appropriate for those of us who come to study the Dharma. Outside of the Dharma of our teacher, there is nothing that can bring us to live in harmony together to go beyond suffering and unsatisfactory experience, and to realize happiness and tranquility. Uh, again, that um, in that that uh, um, first sutta from Udana, chapter eight, 
the when the Buddha is talking about that that dimension, that ayatana, uh, that dimension of being, where there's no coming, no going, no standing still. And he says, "This, uh, this, uh, I tell you, this is this, and only this is the end of suffering." So that trying to end suffering by being physically comfortable or having particular possessions or a place to live or a, or even particular mind states is it, never going to really bring about that quality of of of, uh, of complete peace and freedom. It's only that that realization and embodiment of that. Uh, the quality of non-abiding, that total letting go of the conditioned realm, that then the uh, that's where dukkha really ends, is where the um, uh, the heart uh, is awake to its own fundamental nature. Dharma is far superior to anything you can find in the home. The things we have at home generally only bring, bring trouble. It's not like the, it's not like they're going to cause peace. In the realm of family and possessions, there are only things that co- uh, cause for worry, concern, and struggle. Things that stab us. Dharma has more value than that. But he, if we live among these things, we must have dharma. We can't do without it. If there's no dharma to match these things, they are not complete. Don't be careless. If we really understand and contemplate dharma we will see value in it. The things at home will still be there, but if we see dharma, we will stop carrying them. Then there is still the busyness and involvement, but we know what it's all about, and we won't take it for something real. Like dealing with a child who says, Mum, this happened. Dad, I need that. Hey, look at me. The parent says, yeah, sure, okay, and doesn't take it too seriously. You answer to make the child feel happy and secure, but your mind is not caught up in the story because you don't think in that way. So you can remain with your family and worldly responsibilities, doing what you have to do, but you aren't following the stream of worldliness. You're acting for peace and detachment, not for slavery and involvement. This is called the accomplishment and enjoyment of wealth. Even though you have wealth and possessions, you know them for what they are. You know how to use them and live above them. If you can practice like this, you'll come to know that that Dharma really does have value, but it's necessary to understand, to contemplate and practice. So this is uh, speaking about, say, (coughs) parents relating to a child or or going along with a child's sort of wishes or demands or games, you know, like uh, when uh, a child comes along with a... a, uh, with a with a toy, with a with a you know a a, a doll or a, a teddy bear or a train or you know or a toy car or something, and uh, they are, are kind of telling you this is the name of the doll, this is the, the this is the the train is going to such and such a place, or the, you know, this is what the bear wants, and so on. Then a, a parent or you know, an adult will often play along with the child to kind of join in because the child sort of. They're, they're following that kind of line of thought that this is what the doll wants or this is what the train is where the train is going and such like and so that uh, Lumpur Charles using that as an example of how to relate to worldly activities and responsibilities life in Amravati <laughs> it's just uh, you know you you you, uh, you play along with it with with sincerity but uh, there's also a recognition of keeping things in a context it's just uh, the you know the the game of the of the children 
is uh, is about this. To the child, it's important, but it is really just sankharas arising and passing away. There isn't really more to it than that. So you take care of your responsibilities and your, uh, you look after your living place. You uh, you relate to others in a, a skillful way, but you're, as he says, you're not taking it too seriously. Uh, you answer to make the child feel happy and secure, but your mind is not caught up in the story because you don't think in that way. So it's not being insincere or hypocritical, but rather just keeping things in a context that when someone is excited about something that you're not really excited about, you you don't just sort of put them down or ignore them. You think, oh well, I'm I'm happy for your happiness. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't get sort of so thrilled about uh, some uh, TV program that they've they've been watching the night before or, or that. Uh, or a, an event in the in the in the sports world or in the in the entertainment industry, it's like oh yes, so they had the award sessions last night. Oh yes, that was um, yeah. So oh, I'm, uh, I'm sure it was very <laughs> very uh, very exciting. And you know, you don't really care, but you don't have to be rude or unkind or, or dismissive. But you know, also you don't really care that much about the the Oscars or the the, the I think the Golden Globes was. The last few days, you don't really care, but you're not. You don't have to sort of be dismissive or, or uh, aversive about it. But um, recognize, you know, for some people that's that's very important, and it's it's their world. So uh, you are you happy to empathize with where they're at, and so that uh, this is a, a way that we we live amongst worldly conditions and worldly activity and responsibilities, and take care of them. But you're not looking for finality or completion in uh, in those things. That uh, and as again, as Lumpucha would often say, you know, that don't look for completion in that which can't be completed. And uh, it was also his his comment about uh, politics. And someone when someone said, Lumpur, you 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 never you never talk about politics or politicians. You know why is that? And he said, I only talk about things that can be completed. There's no completion in the world of politics. Therefore, I never talk about it. Kind of the whole subject <laughs> completed it in one go. So, any thoughts, questions? If you think things are real, there is suffering, there is fear. You're afraid of the different ways that things may turn out. Everywhere you look, there's fear. Actually, you just fear for yourself. There is thinking, then fear follows immediately. It deceives you, creating a picture to mislead you. For people who are so fearful, whether they go into a house or a forest, there will immediately be ghosts haunting them. Even when they hear mice running around, they're frightened and they think it's the sound of ghosts. Immediately they're afraid, but it's only consciousness making a picture to deceive. Or maybe you have some problem at home. Just thinking about it makes you want to cry. People criticize each other. This one doesn't care about me. That one makes trouble for me. The mind runs away like that. Actually, no one is doing anything but you making the pictures. If you make the pictures, you'll get lost and eventually end up crying. 
If you get very happy, you're making a picture. And it gets to the point of laughing or crying, but it's still just you doing it. This is good. This is really good. You're just forgetting yourself, lost in your joy and laughter. The mind picks up one thing and you feel fear. Something else you may feel is repulsive, so you hate it. Then you love another thing. Become obsessed until you're actually insane. There's no end to your tears flowing. There's no end to it when you react like this, making pictures. All this is just the carrying on of people. As to what is actually happening, there is nothing. There's nothing to cry or laugh over, nothing worthy of love or hate in itself. It's only your mind being tricked. So the Buddha said to work on your mind here. Correct your mind at this point. The Dharma is genuine. It's certain. It's the truth. But we are not true. We laugh and we cry. We love and we hate, reacting to things. Things are said to be good and bad, and off we go in pursuit. Because we believe because we believe that sorry, because we believe that we exist as self entities and that things belong to us. This is just being deluded. So you should not take anything the body in good or bad health, the mind in elation or depression, not take anything as being too real. You only destroy yourself by doing that. The Buddha said, when happiness comes, don't believe in it too much. It's not something to cry or laugh over. It isn't something out there. It's here within us where things are happening, results being born from causes. There's really nothing, only our grasping, that makes things appear like this. Not seeing the Dharma, we're always trying to make real these things that are not real. But when we talk about things not being real, some will say there's nothing we can do. So it doesn't mean being totally passive and defeated. Without going to extremes and believing too much in things as real, you take care of things as is appropriate. While objects are not yet broken, while the body is not yet sick, take care of them so you can make good use of them. When things break, you let go without tears. You don't end up crying over these internal and external phenomena for no purpose. We have the habit of seeing body and mind as self. We call them us and ours. But when we're involved in such grasping, we're outside of the Dharma. And the only result is that we suffer. So again, Lumpur is making this point himself. Uh, when, we, when we talk about things not being real... Some will say there's nothing that we can do. It doesn't mean being totally passive and defeated. So that was the point I was making earlier when he was saying that he himself was saying there's nothing you can do. <laughs> Don't try and fix anything uh, a few pages ago. Um, that you know, Don't take that to an extreme, but rather um, uh, we don't, uh, to, to mishandle that, kind of, that principle, uh, uh, misinterpret it, then you can lead towards passivity or a kind of abstractedness or just think, I'm just being the witness, I'm just observing life. And that's a, a false kind of abstraction. Take care of things as is appropriate. While objects are not yet broken, while the body is not yet sick, take care of them so you can make good use of them. And then when things break, you let go without tears. You don't end up crying over those internal and external, external phenomena for no purpose. So that was uh, a, a very much a, 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 I think a, a theme from in Lumpur's teaching, and I would say is very important, skillful for us to 
to um, to carry on today to to be taking care of the things that we have. We have a few possessions, but the things that we have, look after them, take care of them, and do the best you can to um, to preserve them. But when the the time comes when they they break up, then okay, that's their, their day has come. And he used to, as many people are probably familiar, he used to uh, pick up a a, a a glass like this and say, you know, this is a broken glass. And I say, if you can see that this is broken already, then when the day comes and the elements separate, then you won't suffer. At first, I I, I didn't get the teaching at all, and he'd say, you know, this is a broken glass. They go, oh really? That's amazing. It's still it's not dripping. You know, the water still holding the water. It's like I can't see the crack. So I was kind of a bit clueless. Uh, I fully confess. I, mean, I should get a bit closer. I can't see this broken. Then oh right, you know, if you can see its brokenness. Uh, it's uh, that it, it's actually in a state of change. It looks like it's very stable, but if you think it's not a glass, it's just elements currently glassing. That they are. That it's it's an event, um, a very slowly moving event. Actually, glass is a is a liquid. A few chemists here might know that. That uh, it's it's a very slowly moving. Very, it's a very very viscous liquid, and so it doesn't have a crystal structure like um, many other things so that's why very very old window panes they're thicker at the bottom than they are at the top it's slowly moving downwards uh, pulled by gravity so but uh, if you can see that it's a broken a broken glass then when the day comes and the elements separate then you don't suffer on account of it if you think the glass is a, is a glass and it's always going to be a glass and it should be a glass then when it breaks then uh, you know your heart breaks too so that uh, then translates also to this um, you know this body is a is a broken glass too that uh, and when uh, things stop working so well or that uh, things break down then rather than, oh my goodness what's happening now or oh, this is terrible it's a disaster it's like no it's it was always broken. It's just now that brokenness is now manifesting, but it was always there in the potential in the system. We just didn't recognize that. We just we were falsely assuming there was a an integrity uh, there that was uh, our um, sort of a, uh, uninformed, ig- ignorant impression. Any last thoughts, questions? No member of RT, Arjun. Um, I was reading the Jataka Tales and the Amara, which is, I believe, is the female version of your name. Amara is the male and Amara is the female. Uh, well, if it has a long A at the end, it would be. Yeah. Amara. Amara, yeah. And it's the tale where the Buddha to be sees a beautiful woman, but she's way below him in status. But he's fascinated, so he sets all these tests and she moves and she flows with him. Whatever test he puts at her, she moves and flows in a beautiful way. And she becomes his wife, you know, because and it says she is like the other side of him, like an equal, the deathless, Amara the deathless, in the Jataka tales. I've read all of the Jataka stories, all 540 of them, and I don't recollect that particular rendition. Amara, 
Jataka tells us the whole section, it's, it's not the name of the sutra, but it comes, mm. uh, the teaching, but it comes up in the Mara. There's a, in the, the, the story of the, the, the Bodhisatta, in, when he made the, when he made the, the vow to become a Buddha, uh, it starts off four incalculable periods and a hundred thousand eons ago in the city of Amravati, there lived a Brahmin called Sumaita. And so that, uh, and then the, 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 the um, partner you know, who, uh, who he hooked up with, be, who became Princess Yashoda in his last lifetime, she was a flower seller. And he heard that the, the Brahmin Sumaita, and, and Lumpur Sumaita, um, he didn't know that story when he chose the name Amravati. That, uh, that uh, he was um, apparently unaware of it. When I told him, uh, I, 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 I heard that he wanted to start this new place and call it Amravati. I just come across this this um, story in the, the kind of Buddhist legends. I thought, oh, well, I know uh, Ajahn Sumedha is a very powerful character, but you know, naming this place, uh, so putting himself in the position of, of the Bodhisattva is a... That's a little bit much, even for Ajahn Sumedha. <laughs> so anyway, we, we were walking across Iping Common, and I thought, I, you know, I, I, better, I better check and see what, what the story is here. And uh, so we were walking across Iping Common at Chithurst on the way to Bindabad, and I said, oh, I, I've, I discovered where you got the name Amravati from. And he said, oh, where, where's that? And he said, it's a city in southern India. I said, well, no, before that, it was... Uh, yeah, in the in the uh, um, in the old the old legends, it's, it says you know four incalculable periods and a hundred thousand eons ago in the city of Amarati, there lived a Brahmin called Sumaita, and then that's when he meets the Buddha Dipankara and makes the Bodhisattva vow, and Lumpur literally stopped dead in his tracks. He went completely white. Like, <laughs> he said, "I didn't know," and I kind of looked at him. He means that. <laughs> he didn't know. And so now people give him Sumaita rupas. Because what happened was that uh, the uh, Sumaita then went out to try and find... He became a yogi, left his household life, became a wanderer, and he heard that the Buddha Dipankara was in the world, and so he wanted to go and meet him. And uh, it was the rainy season, and on his way to, to meet the Buddha Dipankara, then he didn't have anything to offer him. And there was this girl, by, uh, a flower seller, by the, the roadside. And he says, I want to make some offerings to the, the Buddha Dipankara. Can you give me some of your lotus flowers? And she said, apparently, she said, if you promise to be uh, my, uh, my, uh, my husband in all future lifetimes, then I'll give you some lotus flowers. <laughs> and so he said, okay. It's because I'm on my way to meet the Buddha Dipankara and I want to make the vow to become a Buddha in the future. And she said, well, if you agree to have me as your partner in, in, whenever you have a partner in future lifetimes, uh, here are some flowers. So he had some lotus flowers to offer. And then when he found the Buddha Dipankara, then there was this big puddle in the road. So he lay down in the puddle and uh, so that the Buddha Dipankara wouldn't get his feet wet. And then Dipankara Buddha said, um, please get up. To targeters do not deliberately step upon living beings, and so in, in particularly in Burma you get these images of of the kind of the, light, the 
Sumaita uh, uh, lying down on the ground with his uh, making Anjali above his head. And so people now give those rupas to Lumpur Sumaita. So he's got quite a few. He's kind of got his hands over his head, lying flat on his face. So, that, uh, so there is that story. But uh, the uh, Am- uh, Amravati was the city that he came from. But uh, I don't think the flower girl's name was Amara. But I could be wrong. Anyway, it's now five past seven. So it's time to draw things to a close for today. <laughs>